Welcome to the West Virginia Writers Podcast, a service of West Virginia Writers Incorporated, the Mountain State's largest all-volunteer nonprofit organization dedicated to writers. Established and incorporated in 1977, West Virginia Writers continues to support writers and writing statewide through program sponsorship, an annual writing contest, and an annual summer writers conference. This podcast is dedicated to promoting the organization, its members, and events, as well as writers throughout Appalachia and beyond. And now, broadcasting from atop a hill in Mercer County, here is your host, El Presidente, Emeritus. Thank you, Gertrude, and hola, listeners. Welcome to episode 19 of the West Virginia Writers Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Fritjus. We're continuing our recorded live reading series this week with another of the readings taken from the West Virginia Writers co-sponsored October Literary Tea Series, which takes place each Thursday this month at the Greenbrier Valley Theater in Lewisburg. For those of you who are awaiting the return of our usual interviews here on the podcast, fear not. We have some doozies in that department coming up for you, and you should stay tuned at the end of this podcast for some better hints as to the identities of said interview subjects. Or you could just cheat and go look at the website's upcoming guest column in the sidebar. Before we get to the live reading, though, we do have a bit of news to announce regarding West Virginia Writers' annual writing competition. While the contest does not open for submissions until January 2nd, 2010, the entry forms for the contest have made their debut recently at the West Virginia Book Festival in Charleston. They're now available on our website on the contest page. Now, the contest has both an adult and student version, and there have been some pretty major changes to the student contest, not the least of which is that it no longer requires an entry fee. In the past, the student contest has concentrated simply on prose and poetry, but this year we've spiced it up a bit by offering at least three writing prompt choices in each age group category. That means that students from grades 1 through 12 will find prompts tailored to their age group, and each of the three groups will have first, second, and third place winners chosen from the collective entries from all of their prompts. We'll soon have a frequently asked questions list about this on our website, and we invite you to stop by, print some off, and give them out to students in your life. While you're there, print out the adult form for yourself and start digging through your creative directories for stories to send us. Now, speaking of the contest, today's recorded live reading comes from one of the honorable mentions in the humor category of the 2009 contest. Willa Izzo is the author in question, and she's been a member of West Virginia Writers for the past six years. In addition to her duties as one of the co-owners of Lewisburg's fantastic Irish pub on Washington Street, Willa is a master gardener and also teaches a creative writing class at Lewisburg's Shepherd Center, which she's done for the past six years. Here is Willa with her winning entry, Volunteer Coach. Volunteer Coach. Residents in the mountain town of Beaverville stay clear of the post office until 9.45 a.m. when the mail is officially sorted. It's peculiar, but it's been this way ever since Lydia Sue Carter took the position of postmistress 19 years ago. An imposing woman with unmistakable strength, she stands at least six feet tall behind the counter. No citizen dares to quarrel with her rules, so she is left undisturbed. Lydia earned her self-confidence growing up on the family dairy farm, working as part of a team with six burly brothers, understanding the meaning of fairness at an early age, and never showing an ounce of timidity for hard work or her brothers. Indifferent to the mainstream, she likes her life uncomplicated. Conforming to fashion is not her style, so clothes are worn till they die. 
Living with honesty, Lydia speaks her mind, which repeatedly leads her into a predicament. This morning, she is mailing a letter of apology to some highly insulted ladies of the Beaverville Women's Garden and Gourmet Club for critical comments she uttered at their annual Gardener of the Year Award and Fried Chicken Banquet. In her notorious fashion, Lydia had wondered aloud why the chicken tasted odd, and then made matters worse, suggesting it was about time these know-it-all ladies, in their attempts to beautify the town, plant something different from the usual pathetic petunias forever drooping in their hanging baskets by the post office. They might at least consider bright red geraniums instead and brighten up her workplace. Now she seals a letter, hoping to soothe the wounded feelings of the Garden Club ladies. At that moment, on a breezy April morning, a breathless Mayor Billy Butler rushes through the front entrance and leans on the counter, begging attention. Hey, nice day, Lydia. Sorry to interrupt, but this is real important. I do need a favor, and I'm sure you can help, he said. Lydia responds with a cool stare and a raised eyebrow. It's not quite 9.30, and you should know better than to bother me now. What's the big rush? Billy explains. Well, seems the baseball league needs a substitute coach for the 2 o'clock game this afternoon, since their regular coach is down with the flu. And, well, all the other coaches are busy with games and stuff, so I thought you, because you've helped coach Little League before. I thought of you. He cleared his throat and I know you like kids. So you want me to coach, right? Right. So what team and what are they playing? Actually, Lydia, this is the Penguins T-ball team. You know the little ones, the four and five-year-olds? You know them all, and you know their parents. It took less than 10 seconds for Lydia to let out a howl. Then slapping the counter, she said, you mean these little kids about as tall as the bat? and who don't even know how to hold a bat, much less hit a ball? You're telling me they actually play a game? With hope lingering like a stray dog, Billy pleads again. Yeah, they really do play a game, just a couple of innings, though. They're just learning, you know, and have a lot of fun doing it, and they take it pretty seriously. Well, at least their parents do. Come on, Lydia, they're desperate. You wouldn't want to disappoint a bunch of little kids now, would you? I'll do it on one condition, Billy. You're coming with me. I've only coached the junior high kids. These two t-ball guys will probably put me to sleep. Do they play by any rules? Sure they do, said Billy, reaching into his pocket. Here's their rule book. It's pretty basic. Look it over at lunch, and I'll pick you up around 1 o'clock. Thanks, Billy. You definitely made my day. Lydia and Billy arrive at the field in time to meet the young baseball players showing up for the game. It's a mixed team, boys and girls in a variety of shapes and sizes. They're wearing clean white shirts with big red numbers embossed on the back and tight black pants and wide-brimmed baseball hats showing a penguin logo. Lydia suppressed a giggle as two boys show up wearing oversized red helmets, making their heads look enormous like little aliens from outer space. Billy reminded her, these helmets must be worn for protection when they're at bat. All of them are carrying oversized-looking mitts. Their high-pitched voices shout rapid phrases to each other, which Lydia can't begin to decipher. 
The boys are laughing, kicking dirt and playing tag, while most of the girls are modeling their uniforms, strutting around and bragging about which number is the best one. None of them are standing still. Taking an enormous breath, Lydia calls to her players. Okay, team, I'm your coach this afternoon. Come over here so we can talk about the game plan for today. In a frenzied scene, the players scramble toward Lydia, passing the bleachers, waving at their families, bumping into each other all at the same time. Glancing at their parents, who are now standing and cheering, Lydia smiles at them, for she knows them all. Surrounding her in a whimsical huddle, she calls out their names and positions and realizes immediately it is difficult to hold their attention for more than two minutes at a time. They're interrupting her with ridiculous questions. When do I get to bat? How many times can I miss the ball? Can I play third base again? Hey, coach, can you see my grandpa up there? He's sitting next to my mom. He lives in New Jersey, but he's staying with us till Sunday. Oh, no, my shoelace just broke, another girl shouts. Raising his hand, a chubby, squirmy boy with a big smile announces, I'll be back in a minute, I gotta pee. <laughs> Having nothing to do with baseball, the penguins continue to voice their worldly thoughts. A boy named Mike describes in detail how he's learning to ride his two-wheel bike without training wheels. Then a tiny girl named Lucy whispers in Lydia's ear that this is her last game because she's moving to California. Just beyond the huddle, two boys are lying on their sides, passing out M&Ms and making a pile of the red ones. Sitting close to Lydia, a couple of girls are giggling and trading helmets. With no end in sight, Lydia realizes none of them are paying an ounce of attention to her instructions. All right, everybody on your feet and get in a straight line. She can't believe her voice is shouting. Scrambling to their feet, the team is surprisingly quiet, and she again offers her instructions for the game. About that time, the visiting team arrives on the field. They're named the Wild Turkeys. <laughs> and Lydia observes they are giddy and rambunctious, just like her team. She feels relieved for a second. After a brief discussion between the coaches, the teams take their positions. The Wild Turkeys are up to bat first, so the Penguins scramble across the field to their assigned places. When Lydia glances around, she notices no one is on second place, second base, but two boys are standing on first. She calls to Henry, telling him to go to second base. Henry kicks some dirt, looks up to the sky, but doesn't budge. Instantly, without any warning, a booming voice erupts from somewhere in the bleachers. You better get a move on, boy. Are you listening to your coach? Henry keeps his head down and scrambles to second base. Lydia turns her eyes, searching through the crowd of parents until she finds the source of the outburst. The game remains at a standstill while Lydia delivers a long, frigid stare to Henry's father. Recalling some facts in the T-ball rulebook, she remembers, one, the motor skills of these young players are not fully developed. Two, their throwing and catching abilities will not be so good either. Three, T-ball teaches them to hit the ball and run to the bases. Four, every child will have a chance to play. And five, they will all learn good sportsmanship. Lydia likes that part about sportsmanship best. The first wild turkey player is up to bat. His helmet is on crooked and wobbles. He swings once, twice, 
Then his bat hits the tee, and the ball falls off and rolls three feet. <laughs> the boy looks at his coach, who tells him to run to first base. As he gallops to first base, the players on both teams shout and clap. No one retrieves the ball. <laughs> the next player surprises everyone because he hits the ball far into the field. Lydia watches most of her team run across the field after the ball. <laughs> Parents of the wild turkeys now on their feet are shouting, Run the bases! Run the bases! By the time the ball is finally retrieved, the runner slides into third base. The next player strikes out. Lydia looks out toward left field and notices three of her boys are digging holes and throwing dirt at each other. <laughs> she calls to them to pay attention and keep their eyes on the batter. Two boys and a girl come to bat, and each hits the ball. After four runs, the teams swap sides. Now it's the Penguins' turn to try and hit the ball off the tee. Lydia watches her team line up to bat amid general commotion. So far, this has been an experience and a comedy of errors. But feelings of empathy for her players begin to erode her earlier misconceptions about T-ball. Sally is first, but is so small, the tee is adjusted down to her size. Unexpectedly, she swings and hits the ball out to left field. Run to first base, Lydia calls. In the bleachers, the parents are now standing and yelling all kinds of directions, too. Sally is confused, hearing all the shouting from everyone, and begins to cry. Lydia grabs her hand and runs with her to first base. The wild turkeys are still scrambling for the ball, so Lydia and Sally run to second base. Then Lydia squats down next to Sally. Stay right here on this base, Sally. I'll tell you when you can run again. Then Lydia raises her arms and calls, Time out! She can't remember if this is in the rule book, but her, de <laughs> but her determination is now in control. Sprinting across the field, she races into the bleachers and stands in front of the parents. Their silence is abrupt as Lydia glares at each parent. Now you all listen, and listen carefully. I am coaching this team. I am in charge. You, on the other hand, are out of order. You're acting crazy. You made that little girl cry because you screamed a bunch of directions at her, and she became confused. That is not encouraging, and it's definitely not good sportsmanship. The decision for when these children walk Run or just simply stand still is my decision. You, on the other hand, are to remain quiet. You may smile, you may clap, and maybe even cheer when it's appropriate. Put your hand down, George, there are no questions. <laughs> Returning to the field, Lydia is smiling and thoroughly pleased with herself, wondering how many folks she offended by her remarks. Her reputation is alive and well. <laughs> On the field, Lydia raises her arms and shouts, Play ball! The next player swings and misses three times. <laughs> Another player knocks the ball to center field, and Lydia tells him to run to first base. Then she calls out to Sally, sitting on second base, <laughs> to get up and run to third. In the outfield, the wild turkeys are scrambling for the ball, 
So she called out to Sally to run home. And from the bleachers, the only audible sounds from the zealous families are hand clapping and respectable cheers. In the remaining half hour, some girls make somersaults on their way to the bases, and several boys bump into each other while trying to retrieve the ball. Finally, Lydia is enjoying the game. She accepts these innocent mistakes and revives her sense of humor. These delightful little creatures create a childhood adventure in hilarity, evoking memories of the good old days of America's favorite pastime, and Lydia is happy to be part of the action. as recorded at the October 8th Literary Tea at the Greenbrier Valley Theater in Lewisburg. As I said earlier, Will is one of the co-owners of Lewisburg's Irish Pub on Washington Street, which is, f- which is a fantastic family atmosphere establishment I can't recommend highly enough. You don't normally think of pubs as being family-friendly, but this Irish Pub certainly is, offering great food and live entertainment. I suggest you try the Ulster Combo or the Corned Beef Sandwich, both of which make me very, very angry that I live in Mercer County and not Greenbrier. If you do live near or in Greenbrier County, however, you should make it a point to stop by the Greenbrier Valley Theater in the coming days because their production of Shakespeare's Macbeth opens tonight and will continue through November 14th. They're West Virginia's official year-round professional theater and always do a fantastic job. You can visit their website for all the details and even to purchase tickets online. We'll have a link to that website as well as to the Irish pubs on our website, wvwriters.org slash podcast.html. The West Virginia Writers co-sponsored Literary Tea Series has two more sessions upcoming. On October 29th, the theater will hold a kids' literary tea in which members of the GV Teens acting group will be reading stories to smaller children. So if you have smaller kids and are in the area, please bring them by at 5.30 for some story time and tasty baked goods. Then on Thursday, November the 5th, poets from far and wide are invited to come out and participate in the annual Community Poetry Reading Tea. This is always a very impressive event and draws poets both experienced and novice in to share their work. And again, that will be Thursday, November 5th at 5.30. By now, you've no doubt cheated and looked at the upcoming guest column in the sidebar of our website to learn the names we said we'd hint at now. They include an interview with poet Cheryl Denise, a live reading from poet and West Virginia writer's regional rep Tim Armentrout, the long-awaited interview with Mark Harshman, and a very special two-part conversation with Lee Maynard, conducted by our very own first vice president, Kat Pleska. (coughs) Stop it! Lee's also going to be a featured presenter at this year's summer conference. Those will be broadcast in the coming weeks, right here on the West Virginia Writers Podcast. Our opening voiceover was provided by Marcus Gertrude Vowell. Our show's theme music is used with permission by its composer, Pops Walker, whose albums can be found at popswalker.com and cdbaby.com. If you have comments or suggestions about the podcast, or if you have a recorded live reading of your own you'd like to send us, we can be reached by email at wvwpodcast at gmail.com. This program has been produced by Mr. Herman's Production Company Limited and was recorded atop a hill in Mercer County.